Happy Resurrection Sunday, church family. You know, it's true that every Sunday we gather, we try to make much of the work of Jesus Christ, but there can be no question that there's something unique and special about Easter Sunday, that that this Sunday represents something special for us. It represents the day when history changed, when God's plan to save us was fully realized What Jesus did for us, the work that we remember on this weekend should never be forgotten. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, it is of first importance to us. So it's right that we should celebrate the work of Jesus uniquely today as the people of God. You see, this work, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the centerpiece of of our hope. It's the cornerstone of our faith. And don't we need some hope today? Don't we need the kind of hope that can only be found in Christ today? That the work of Jesus was meant to speak into moments just like we are facing right now, and even moments of greater desperation. And we see this throughout the New Testament. The people of God often face hardship. The people of God often face difficulty, but they have a sustaining hope because of the work of Christ that allows them to still celebrate, to still rejoice in the Lord in the midst of any circumstance. And all of that is because of the resurrection. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that can sustain us in our deepest moments of desperation. As I hope to show you in Psalm 16 this morning, and some of you are probably thinking, a psalm? Psalm 16, that seems like an odd place to go to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll admit, it is a bit unusual to preach a psalm on Easter Sunday, but this psalm, I think, is particularly appropriate for us. Because in it, David talks about the hope of the resurrection. And it's a hope that Peter picks up on later in the story of the Bible, all the way in the book of Acts as we read earlier in our service today. And what David shows us in this psalm is how the promise of the resurrection is a sustaining promise. Yes, we may face hardship as the people of God. Yes, we may face difficulty. We may face suffering. We may even face death, physical death. But because of the resurrection, we have a hope that is greater than anything this world can take from us, even our lives. And that's a a pretty incredible hope that Jesus has provided for us. And that's what I pray that you will take away from our time together today. No matter how difficult these days may get, no matter how difficult our time may be until Christ returns or takes us home, the resurrection means that there is hope. Incredible hope. Unshakable hope. Resurrection hope. Let's see how David leads us to this hope this morning in Psalm Psalm chapter 16. Here's what the Word of God says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord 
is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Truly, this is one of my favorite Psalms. It's so refreshing because I can relate so much to David in the situation he's in. David finds himself in a desperate situation. That's what we see in verse 1. He's crying out to the Lord to preserve him, to protect him, to keep watch over him because he knows that he is in danger. And we don't exactly know what kind of danger he is in yet, but the language suggests that it's serious. It's a life-threatening kind of danger. And of course, that's not unusual for David if you know anything about his story. He's often in danger. And in this moment, when he is feeling particularly vulnerable and threatened, he does something that we all should do when we feel that way. He turns to the Lord. Have you ever been in a place of desperation like David is? Have you ever been uniquely aware of the reality that you're surrounded by danger? Maybe you haven't had a mad king coming after you or had to face lions who were trying to poach your sheep. But my guess is all of us have been in a place where we felt hopeless, where we have felt defeated. But look at how David responds to this situation. In his desperation, David turns to the Lord. Where does he run when he gets when times get hard? Where does he run when he feels powerless? He runs to the Lord. That's what we see in verses 2 through 7. And he tells us why. He tells us why in his hardship he runs to the Lord. There are three major reasons why David tells us he runs to the Lord. Firstly, he turns to the Lord because he trusts in the sovereignty of God. Secondly, he turns to the Lord because the Lord is his true delight. And thirdly, he turns to the Lord because the Lord is his ultimate source of wisdom. Let's consider each of these reasons for a moment because I think they're so important for us to understand and remember in our moments of desperation. So firstly, David runs to the Lord because he trusts in the sovereignty of God. We see that in verse 2. David says, the Lord is my Lord. David lives to serve the Lord his God. And he trusts that whatever God has allowed to happen in his life is ultimately for the glory of God and David's good. Nothing that has happened to David is surprising to God. Nothing. And because David knows that, he can turn to the Lord to help him understand what it is that God is trying to accomplish through this moment of hardship. The moments he faced various beasts trying to steal his sheep prepared him to face Goliath. The moment he faced Goliath helped him to prepare uh, to, to face Saul. The moment he faced Saul helped him to truly lead God's people as their king. No difficulty was wasted in the life of David. 
All of it was used by God to help him do exactly what he was doing in that moment, and that is relying upon the Lord. Trusting in the sovereignty of God means that we believe that God does not waste any difficulty in our lives. He does not waste desperation. Rather, he uses it for his redemptive purposes. He uses it for our good and his glory. So David trusts in the sovereignty of God. But secondly, he also delights in the Lord. Another reason why he runs to the Lord in his desperation. This is really good. David knows that everything he has that is good comes from the Lord. But he also knows that his ultimate good is the Lord himself. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The Lord is David's chosen portion. He is David's beautiful inheritance. Now, the language here has to do with land. And it reminds me of when the people of God came into the land of promise and the land was divided among the tribes of Israel in the book of Joshua. Everyone was given a piece of the land of promise with the exception of the Levites. While the Levites were given cities to live in, the Lord and the work of the Lord were their ultimate inheritance as the priests of Israel. And it seems like David is building upon that language here to say that when you get the Lord, you get the best of lot. David doesn't want the best land. David doesn't want the, the biggest flocks. He doesn't want the more most stuff. He wants the Lord. David could have had anything. David did have a whole bunch of things, but what he ultimately wants is God. This reminds me of something I've shared with you before about my family's gatherings, which often revolve around food, and I'm sure yours are the same way. And honestly, I'm going to miss that today. I'm going to miss gathering with my family and eating a bunch of the stuff I'm about to talk about. And of course, every time I enter into my mom's kitchen on a holiday, there's a beautiful land of promise that awaits the the finest southern cooking you could ask for. There's turkey and turkey and dressing when it's appropriate. There's potato salad. There's deviled eggs. There's green bean casserole, which is basically green beans bathed in butter and rich crackers. Um, but there's one thing that I always look forward to the most on these occasions when my family gets together, and that's my aunt Jan's chicken and dumplings. Oh, they are so good. And she makes the homemade dumplings, right? Not that frozen junk that some people put in their chicken and dumplings. And if you did that today, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just talking about the, the greater quality of my Aunt Jan's chicken and dump, dumplings. Now, I want you to think about all the good stuff, all the good food that is in front of me when I'm standing in my mom's kitchen that I can choose from. All the things that I can put on my plate but I'm willing to forsake all of that other food just for the chicken and dumplings. If I don't get anything else, I'm okay because I consider those chicken and dumplings to be far better than anything else my taste buds can savor. That's what I'm longing for, ultimately. And now I want to take a big turn here, okay? In the buffet of life, there's nothing better for your soul than the Lord. There's nothing else that can satisfy your soul in the Lord. It's, it's what your soul is truly longing for because he created you that way. The things you long for the most 
love, peace, satisfaction, all those things are ultimately found only in God. And the desire God's given you has meant is meant to, to point you to him, to be satisfied in him and to worship him as a result. And that's why David says he's only going to associate with people who delight in the Lord. That's what he says in verse three, because they know what he knows. God is their ultimate delight. And therefore he will delight in people who worship God as he does, who knows what, who know what he does. He will not be distracted by idolaters because their sorrows will not be relieved. Their sorrows will only increase according to verse four. This is important for us. If we are a part of God's people, it's important for us to remember that while we may lose other things in this life, we will never lose God. We will never lose him. Yes, we can lose our health. Yes, we can lose our financial well-being. Yes, we can lose comfort. We're going to lose a lot of stuff. And ultimately, we'll lose everything that we have in this world. But we can never lose God. And that's good news because he's all that we need. That's what David's saying here. And sometimes God uses moments of desperation to remind us of all that we have in him. And that's enough. It's more than enough. So, David runs to the Lord. He runs to the Lord because he trusts in his sovereignty. He runs to the Lord because the Lord is his ultimate delight. And then finally, he runs to the Lord because he is his ultimate source of wisdom. David doesn't fully understand what to make of the situation that he's in. But he turns to the counsel of of God. He blesses the Lord, verse 7, who gives him counsel and in the night instructs his heart. Because God is sovereign and because God is the source of his ultimate good, David can turn to God to help him make sense of what he cannot figure out on his own. He doesn't want to rely upon his own understanding because he knows it's flawed. He wants the Lord to help guide his thoughts and guide his heart to make sure his response to this moment of desperation honors the Lord, that it glorifies him. And this is so good for us to remember because in desperate moments, sometimes we can overreact. We can react in a way that suggests we don't trust in God, that we don't have a sustaining hope that he has given to us. And David does not want to do that. He wants to show that the goodness of God is sustaining him, even in this moment of danger. The glory of God is always David's chief concern, and that's how you know that he really loves the Lord. So David's desperate. In his desperation, he turns to the Lord. And then after telling us why, he makes up a powerful, hope-filled declaration in verses 8 through 11. Because David has set the Lord before him in this situation, focusing on God, Rather than his circumstance, David says that he will not be shaken. He knows that God will preserve him. He knows that God will protect him because God has promised that he will. And not only in this life, but in the life that is to come. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My, my flesh also dwells secure. 
for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David's whole being rejoices because he knows that his flesh and his soul are secure in God. God will preserve him from death because God has promised that he will preserve all of those who are faithful to him from death, ultimate death. And notice the change in perspective here. God will not abandon David in the place of the dead, Sheol, because he will not let his Holy One see corruption. Now, isn't that interesting? Who's David talking about there? Is he talking about himself? No. His confidence is not placed in the hope that he will not see corruption because he will. King David did die, and at this very moment, whatever's left of him is decaying. Now, what David's here pointing to is a messianic hope that Peter picks up on in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which we read a portion of earlier this morning in our time together. Listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Sound familiar? You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about that patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would not set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, or that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He was poured out. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter says that David, when he was writing Psalm 16, was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophesying ultimately about the work of Christ. David had resurrection hope. Even though he did not see fully what we see on this side of the work of Jesus, it was the promise of resurrection that allowed David to face that moment of desperation with confidence. Because even if God allowed him to lose his physical life, God would never abandon him completely. No, there's an eternal promise that he has given to those who love him, a promise of life, as we see at the end of our psalm. 
promise of fullness of joy, a promise of pleasures forevermore there in verse 11. Friends, those are now fully available to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What was a glimmer of hope for David is now a floodlight of hope for us. Jesus died, but his body did not see corruption because he was only in that grave for three days. And on the third day, he came out. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, we will not be shaken. Our whole being can rejoice because our flesh dwells secure. We will not be abandoned, but rather adopted with the promise of an eternity with our resurrected Lord. I want you to hear me this morning. In our moment of greatest desperation, facing the prospect of an eternity separated from God because of our sin, and a greater enemy coming against us, death itself, God did not abandon us, but rather showed himself faithful to us yet again by sending his one and only son to die the death that we deserved so that we could have abundant and eternal life. The resurrection gives us sustaining hope in the midst of our desperation. And I hope, oh, I hope this is an encouragement to you today. I hope that you are even right now rejoicing in your homes, on your couches, with your family and your friends, because we're feeling the brokenness of this life. We're seeing the the weakness of humanity on display. We're feeling desperate, but friends, in our desperation, let's follow the example of David. Let's turn to the Lord, understanding that he is sovereign, even in this moment, that he is our ultimate delight, our ultimate good, and that he has given us wisdom to walk through this moment in a way that glorifies him. If he's already met us, in our moment of greatest desperation, and certainly he can meet us here. Let's trust in the promise that was fully realized in Jesus Christ, that those of us who truly trust in the Lord, who truly delight in him, will never be abandoned, but rather will be with God for all of eternity. Abundant life here, leading to eternal life there. If that doesn't cause your whole being to rejoice, and I don't know what will. He is risen. And because of that, we have an unshakable, eternal hope. At least I hope you do. Do you have this hope? Have you trusted in the resurrected Jesus because you've seen your desperation? And, you, and you've seen that your only place of refuge is the Lord your God? the work of Jesus Christ? Do you see what God has provided for you in Jesus? A path to life? A path to fullness of joy? A path to pleasures forevermore? Oh, would you trust him today? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved. Freed from the wrath that you deserve, and welcomed into the refuge of God. For those of us who have trusted him, will we let the greater promise 
that the resurrection guarantees for us? Will we let that greater promise influence how we respond to moments of momentary trouble? Will we let the resurrection define our response to this desperation? Do you trust in the sovereignty of God? See your ultimate good? And are you relying upon the wisdom that only he can give to define your response so that it glorifies him? Because if you are, you can stand firm. You will not be shaken. The Lord has you in his hand. And that is a reason for us to celebrate. Let me pray for us today. Father, we rejoice because of how you revealed yourself to us and because of the confidence that revelation has provided for us to stand in this moment and to stand in an even greater moment of desperation. Father, we marvel at the work of Christ and how you have become our ultimate refuge through that work. Father, help us to see today the path of life. Help us to see today the the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore that can only be found in Christ. Trusting that no matter what comes our way, those things can never be taken from us. And when we stand with you, we can stand firm. Help us to enjoy the abundant life you've provided for us here as we await the eternal life you've promised. And let that enjoyment sustain us until you take us home. Father, may you be glorified by our worship today and our response. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.